0: Good morning. Welcome to The Old School, uh, part two. uh, Perhaps a little technical difficulties there at the onset, but this podcast is about the American education system, an institution like none other uh, in both good ways and bad ways, and we're here to discuss it along with Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Good morning, Dr. Bourgeois.
1: Good morning, Mr. Miller. you mentioned an institution. It's, it's funny that you uh, personally have placed yourself in an institution for about 25 years. I have.
0: And um, well, I was in an institution before that, as you recall, because I was in the military. Right. So I've been in one institution or another for quite some time, really my whole life. So Okay. And when you decide to leave that one, you may go into another one. Or are you going to try to avoid institutions altogether? I think the next institution that I find myself in will have some nice padded walls. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs>
1: so that that's the the result of, of, of your time. I think you're you're probably exaggerating a little bit. It's I, I think you know, teaching is is is
0: fun, isn't it? Uh, it certainly can be, but <laughs> um, it does take a toll. I mean, you can look as old as the current <laughs> president and be like 25 years old and at public education, it takes that kind of toll on you. So.
1: It, it really does. And then the, the, I mean, from my experience, you, you also have a relatively short memory. I mean, you can have this horrible day and you know, my worst days were early on when I was substitute teaching and uh, I would just, get home and and sit in a chair and just kind of close my eyes and wonder what the hell was that. Um and then and then you get up the next day and walk in the door and and you have a short memory kind of like a good quarterback.
0: Yeah. Anytime well yes you do have to it is not unlike that of a uh of a professional athlete where you're trying to put behind you all the things that happened the day before. And hopefully you can, you know, you have the opportunity to do better the next time. Don't let the uh, defeat happen twice, as it were. So who knows? Yeah, a lot a
1: lot happens in a, in a school day and in a classroom. And um, if you're self-aware, you have some reaction to them. You know, it could just be the tone of a student's word or how you may have overreacted or underreacted. But all these decisions, you know, have about 100 150 yes no decisions every day and if you're thoughtful those come back to you and uh, a lot of teachers have this skill i never had it where they they can kind of just keep driving and it doesn't seem to stick at least outwardly Um, but i never had that i would you know kind of think about everything uh, take it a little bit personally
0: i think if you are a teacher And the decisions you make on a day in and day out basis and the reactions to those decisions by students does not bother you or does not perplex you beyond the time that you spent within the four walls of that school. I would suggest there might be something wrong with you. I think so. Because if you care, if you have any kind of care in what you do, it's going to bother you. The difference is how much,
1: how how much, and how how quickly you can move on. I mean, because the, I mean, think about teaching. I mean, we've both been in schedules. I don't think you have one now, but where where you teach six, seven, even eight classes, maybe you teach seven out of eight in a day. So you have a class, uh, the bell rings. It's maybe a forty minute class. Um, you have to suddenly adapt. There's a new group in front of you with new challenges and um you transition and so you really can't be thinking too much about that first group no matter what happened because you need your your energy for the next one and then repeat uh seven times repeat five days a week for however many weeks um so there's a lot of transitions and a lot of opportunities to stew on something
0: or let it go you see yeah you certainly cannot um You cannot dwell on the moment at the moment, but, you know, one of the best things about when you and I work together and then we would drive home together cause we, you know, were carpooling, um, that, you know, it gave, it gave, perhaps it gave both of us a chance to decompress in a way that ordinarily we would not have been able to do because, you know, one of the things my wife had to learn when she and I married um, or rather, when we began to cohabitate, I hate to break what? the news that we cohabitated <laughs> before we were married. <laughs> so, this, is, this is shocking. <laughs> you'll probably be fired. Yes, yes, it will be canceled by uh, by certain elements <laughs> for,
1: of, uh, for good reason,
0: yeah. <laughs> for good reason, and, dar- and darn right to um, quite right. But um, I think one of the things she had to learn was, I think, twofold. One was that you know you spend all day talking to one degree or another the last thing you want to do when you get home (laughs) is talk, you know, and so um, you had, you have that element and you have that dynamic. And then the second thing was dealing with all of the decisions that you made that day. And, you know, some days are easier to set it aside than others, but um, you know, I, I think that's just the life of a teacher and I think every teacher can recognize that and, you know, to whatever degree they have a support system at home that allows them to not talk or to be able to decompress um, it is something that affects not just you but everybody else around you or certainly has the ability to affect everybody around you
1: so you think think that accounts for the phenomenon of aging teachers who who they can teach 2 or 3 years and they they look like they've aged 10 years <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I'm certainly grayer than I was when I started, but then that's just a product of aging. But uh, but I think it's it's not just it's not unlike I don't want to equate it to parenting because I care more about my kid than I do others, okay. other kids. I so. yeah. But I think there is something to it is it is similar in that that decisions you make, you know, at the risk of Uh, kind of hyperbolic comparisons. The decisions you make have much longer term potential consequences than, say, the ordinary job with the ordinary decisions. And I, I am under no illusions that my kids carry my words, you know, years on afterwards. But you do hear mostly thankfully on the good side, you know, you get letters and cards from students who say, you know, I remember when you said this, I remember when you said that, and it had an impact on me. And so if I'm getting letters and cards suggesting that positive things that I've said have carried over well beyond the actual class time, then certainly the opposite is true as well. And there was, a. Um, so there was a band in the 80s called Big Country, and they had a line in one of their songs that says, I never took the smile away from anybody's face. And it's the idea, and I've always thought about that, in how I interact with people, even when I have to have tough conversations with people. You know, you try not to make it, one, you try not to make it personal, but I mean, but it can't help sometimes to be personal, because you're talking about a student's ability or a student's level of care or interest or what have you, so... It's a tricky balance.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a good line here, Miller. I, I never never heard that line before. <laughs> yeah. um, every once in a while, you say something completely new. And <laughs> marvel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I, you know, I I tend to repeat my my stories and they come around again. That's the beautiful thing, because if, you know ten years later people haven't heard it. And, oh, okay. Well, that's that. the
0: beautiful thing about having old cultural references is that the kids you yeah. know, always have a new group of kids who haven't heard your jokes because your jokes are 30 years old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, and you can use you know if you use any type of philosophical reference or reference to literature. Um, there's no reason they don't think that you came up with it yourself.
0: You know? right. <laughs> no <laughs> one's read it. Oh, you man. see, one kid look at the other. Damn, that yeah. was pretty profound. Uh, yeah. Mister yeah. Miller really is a uh, pretty top notch. So that's right. And then the other. Now, kid speaking was- of philosophy, philosophy. Yes. Yeah. yeah go, speaking go. of philosophy, I was actually able to start something this week that you and I have talked about for several years now, and that oh, is I'm the idea. Say again.
1: I forgot about that. Uh, you told me a lot this week uh, I thought we were going in a different direction, but do continue. I, I love this story.
0: Well, the story is, is that you and I have both, you and I both share a love of philosophy and no doubt my love and interest and capacity to understand philosophy has been deepened since our friendship because we talk about it so often, you know, both Uh, in in terms of education, but also beyond education. And we had the idea of what it would be like if we asked our students, hey, I'm going to start this philosophy group. Uh, There's no grade. It's not a club. uh, You won't get a cord on your graduation uh, uh, nightgown uh, that you have to wear or any of that stuff. But wouldn't it be cool to simply look at a philosophical text? to discuss it, to see where our thoughts are on in relation to what the author is trying to convey, and simply just have this rather altruistic uh, pursuit of philosophical understanding and exploration. Um, and so this year, I announced that I was going to try to do it, uh, maybe because I have a deep um, A a deep motivation for this to be my last year, so I think, well, if I'm going to do it, this is the time to do it. (laughs) All your hair brand ideas (laughs) here. (laughs) Okay, you know, if it goes horribly wrong, I'm already one foot out the door. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, but no, to to have a a kind of a collection of folks who may have an interest. And this past week, uh, we had our first. Meeting and it was say meeting. It sounds too official, but uh, a meeting of the philosophy club. Is that what you call it? Well, here's the problem. (laughs) So I I don't want to call it a club because you call it a club, and pretty soon people are equating it to all the other clubs on campus, and ours is not like those others. Meaning it's not officially sanctioned. no, it's not officially sanctioned, and it is not with us as it is with others who seek something kind of shallow. I mean, it depends on the club, of course. Some clubs are more (laughs) seriously (laughs) intent than others, but ours is simply, you know, just a volunteer uh, collection of folks who find interest in philosophy. Okay, So So we met this past week Mm -hmm. and the students told me a little bit about what it was that they were interested in. You know, one of the things to kind of help start, uh, lasering in on particular topics is to find, you know, what the students themselves are interested in. And so I did that on, uh, this past week, next week, uh, they're going to be receiving both text and a video lecture on a particular topic. And after that, we're going to discuss it, give them a few weeks. You know, the idea is that this is not meant to be particularly um uh, laborious Uh, i know they have their own weights they have to carry with their other classes so give them plenty of time to read it and then have the opportunity to come together and discuss it well i
1: I love the idea Uh, of course i mean i've done it i can impart what i what i experience but i'm curious how i mean did you have was it a packed room you know with people outside spilling out (laughs)
0: <laughs> no it wasn't so I don't know what kind of, know, what kind of experience you had well I was uh, a little more popular than you apparently no um, it's a problem it, it, I knew it wouldn't take long before <laughs> you know
1: now let's let's get into the the, the content <laughs> I want to know what what you I mean you said it's almost a flipped classroom do you make the the lecture that you record yourself opining? And then they, or is it something canned from some other philosopher other than Mr. Miller?
0: No, no, it's not me. I mean, I'm not, but I mean, there's other, there's other folks and there's very easily accessible uh, lectures or explanations or discussions that can be found uh, that can kind of augment and perhaps further explain a particular philosophical idea. And, so there's no reason for me to be the source of this. What I kind of consider my role to be is that of mentor and that is that of uh, kind of, um, you know, just kind of guiding the discussions that we have in our little group, challenge people um, often and, uh, you know, to challenge everybody. So part of it really uh, requires a lot of me to be up to speed enough on the topic to be able to make those kind of questions. Let's see where where it goes. I, I hope that the students like it, and I hope that they get something from it maybe a pursuit of the most worthless degree in the university system a degree We're in philosophy
1: you're you're now demeaning what you're talking about i can't believe this
0: it's uh, not a question of demeaning it's a, it's a question of accurately assessing the societal value that's placed upon philosophy which is not that great
1: and so okay but i mean getting a degree in philosophy an undergraduate degree has a lot of benefits uh, particularly if you want to be in a profession where you have to speak and think and write um nothing wrong with that
0: sure um, but i think if you're i think if you're setting yourself out to be i want to be a philosopher <laughs> well, you know, setting yeah, I'm, remi- I'm reminded i'm reminded of the line from uh, history of the world war one <laughs> it's said, guy where Mel Brooks said he was a stand-up philosopher ah. and then um be the author a handsome woman. Yes, a handsome woman. <laughs> powerful woman. <laughs> yeah. I, I would probably be scared if I was in the presence of the author. And oh, yeah. Especially now, she's passed away some time ago. But, uh, <laughs> <Come on>. but, <laughs> That's the <but>, image. <laughs> but particularly in her heyday, she was a powerful, imposing, and uh, amazing lady. Yeah. And so uh, she had her own response that I'll, I'll allow you all to search out for yourself but no um, uh, do we, we need to stop uh, <laughs> yeah. well, well, but
1: but your technique is is to not come in with an agenda or a syllabus or we're going to start with the pre-socratic philosophers and then work our way forward um rather you start out with the interest of the, <clears throat> the students and and you and you build from there and and i i think that that, that seems, is, is that right? You're not, you don't have a an agenda. We're going to cover material. You're going to follow their interest.
0: I'm going to follow their interests and basically make it more of an organic. I think if you try to take too much control, you know, in the words of 38 special, you need to hang on loosely and don't let go, you know, just kind of allow kind of a general type of organic movement between topics and within topics. Uh, and so I think, I think that's probably the best way to go. This is not meant to be anything where I am controlling anything. I don't need that, but rather I want them to have the joy of exploring this on their own. So we'll see. We'll see how it uh, transpires. But, yes, start with their interest. And so I had a couple, uh, as I said, the conversation uh, this past week. Had them explaining a little bit about where their interests lie. And some people were talking about existentialism, or one young lady was mentioning existentialism. One was talking about, you know, bioethics. One was talking about the notion of what is nature and what is nurture as far as looking at individual characteristics. You know, is there a way to kind of, you know, classify in a general uh, sense? what kind of things tend to be man-created, man, man created, what kind of things tend to be by nature or by God. And so you know, giving them the opportunity to delve into their own ideas, give uh, the students a chance to maybe explore some of the ideas that others have brought to the table and maybe look at something in with fresh eyes, uh, I think is kind of an exciting idea. And I'm excited for the first conversation. I mean, we've already had the first conversation. I had a young lady, who said that um, that she was she's never really been into philosophy or she's ne- not, certainly not in a kind of an official or organized sort of way uh, but she she's intrigued and I told her I said wow I said uh, I said you may have been in philosophy a lot longer than you think you know because it starts with curiosity why is something the way it is and then that then the exploration goes into trying to understand that. And so I think any curious person already has at their core the central ingredient to being a philosopher. Well, I, I think that other teachers should
1: take the risk and, and step up and, and do this because the model is not that complicated. I mean, you out, outline something where there's essentially, you know, about 20, 30 minutes of preparation where you, you know, send a link and then mm-hmm. the, and and maybe you familiarize yourself with with the topic which is uh not not um, i mean it's actually something you enjoy um so i i I think other teachers should try it you know i go back to the mid-90s when i was teaching a young teacher um i think popular and um i had a a similar idea I, i took a little bit more of a heavy hand as far as organizing it but i I think that the insight I had is, is that students didn't want to meet at school because then it felt like school, right? Um, Because they're in a classroom, they're surrounded, they have residual stress being in a classroom and, you know, having teachers ask some questions, which is essentially what this exercise is. Um, so we went to a coffee shop and actually had a, there was a special room, you know, that we could occupy, and it was a full house. I mean, we had, you know, between 8, 12, 15 people sometimes. And and so we announced it. But it was a, a, a certain type of student, you know, who was who would in the 90s go to a coffee house. that, You know, that was, I think, before Starbucks or anything. Coffee shops were a little bit different back then. Um, but, yeah, so we, we would um, come up with... Um, we'd have this introductory conversation and I, I heard a lot of the same things. That, oh, I don't know much about philosophy, but I'm interested. But what surprised me, you know, was that there were some, some students that were, that didn't meet that profile, you know, kind of the, uh, I don't know what you would call them. I was real big with the Gothic type students, <laughs> a little bit counterculture, but then we, you know, we had some pretty straight laced athletes and, you know, people you wouldn't expect who showed up. And I thought this is, there's something here, you know, because these are students who would r- rarely interact with each other. And here they are in a room, you know, every every week.
0: Um, but, well, but even the, in my even in my group of five, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we have that's the that sonar dynamic. You know, there mm-hmm. is that and it's stereotypical. And so you kind of take it for what it's worth, but you know, there is the stereotypical idea of what kind of kid might be drawn to this sort of thing. But even within my small group, there are exceptions. And what I hope happens is that as the group begins to develop and grow and, you know, get more involved in their pursuits, that other kids almost like a black hole, they'll get sucked into the group, you know, and they'll start to say, what's, what is this about? What are, uh, what are they doing? Why are they having so much fun discussing some of these things? And hopefully we have an opportunity to grow uh, this little cabal that we've got going. Hmm. Who knows? I mean, in a, that's the hope. And it is exciting to see those different groups of folks inhabit the same space for the same reason.
1: Well, I, i'd like to to give a few things you know if, if anybody wants to to try this you know in, in you know in, in my experience i mean what you described kind of reminded me a little bit of the breakfast club you know yeah, these <laughs> <laughs> suddenly coming together um but the uh what i did was create the the syllabus myself because you know i'm, I'm the one who knows what the texts are and, and, and so forth and I'm i'm focused on you know existentialism things that they might have more you know if you're talking to teenagers you know existentialism sounds a lot like angst uh, in and in it it fits so um, that, that's a, a recommendation rather than going back to utilitarianism and th- things that would would be perceived as academic and I don't think you want that um but I had the idea of doing a kind of a, a flipped idea or flipped structure where where i would uh they would volunteer for these topics so i'd explain the books and then they would say okay i'm going to pick that one meaning they're going to be the group leader they come in with questions and which which sounds great you know because they're we're handing an order to them i'm just participating at that point um they come in and ask the questions and the other people respond having read you know the book or the passages that I gave them. Um, But what do you think happened in in that scenario with, say, 12 people and a text on one day, one person is assigned asking questions? How do you think it went?
0: I would imagine there were some growing pains. (laughs) In what way? Flesh
1: that out a bit because I want to see if you can anticipate what might happen with your own.
0: Well, I can imagine, especially in the beginning, there might be a kind of a, um, a tendency towards almost preaching a little bit. You know, once someone has the ability to kind of look at something and then, you know, if they're presenting it, if they're, it's their responsibility to present it. Maybe questions don't come as easily from the group and those questions that do come aren't easily answered. Um, that's like an immediate thing that jumps to mind that might have happened. Mm-hmm. Well, the the
1: idea is that they're just asking the question, so they're kind of serving as moderator, right? Um, so they don't need to, to do a presentation first or anything, but okay. That, but that is a skill, you know. And so through this task, you know, learning how to facilitate conversation is is a, is a wonderful thing. But as you also might have expected. You know, not everybody does the reading just like your own classes
0: you can
1: imagine. and imagine and so you have some kids who are clearly faking it right <laughs> and they, they, they and they're an expert at that and they end up talking about other things but trying to sound smart but others actually did the reading and had real conversations so so there was some thinning uh, of the group because it did feel a little like okay we have to do something for this it's not just drinking coffee um but that's okay. Um, but eventually, there was a core group. We expanded the the topics or the the process to also occasionally include films. Right and that was back before we had <laughs> we <were> just getting <laughs> computers or whatever. So basically, somebody brought a TV and a VCR in there, set it up, and we would watch the video. Something that I w- would select, Um hopefully kind of carefully, but we pushed the envelope a little bit because it was not on school grounds. I don't know if, I think it was officially a club. A club didn't have all the trappings of what they do today, you know, where you have to go through all these hoops. Um, But it was a lot of fun, um, definitely. And um, I don't know why other teachers wouldn't do something like that. And it doesn't have to be a philosophy club. It could be a poetry club, whatever. But the, the concept is that it's, voluntary and to the, for the most part, student driven and student run,
0: it would be even better. Well, I think one, I think there's a couple of things that of course makes mine different than what you put together. One, you know, I think because we don't have the large numbers, I think perhaps we start out with a core group and perhaps the, the, the small numbers might heighten uh, a student's, uh, desire or feelings of responsibility to read because it is, it is not as easy to hide if you're in a philosophy group of five, as opposed to 10 or 15. And so where you had kind of a calling out to some degree uh, of students, uh, I think perhaps the fact that mine has started out small, maybe, maybe you don't see that as much, although certainly, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's going to be folks that, that are not going to read. And so, and then they'll try to use what they, you know, they see as their own intellect to be able to carry them through. And it's going to be a little bit embarrassing perhaps for some of these kiddos.
1: Yeah, it can happen. But, but I, I mean, looking back, I had some really impressive students, you know, who went on to do some great things went to really top-notch colleges and uh, it's, it's a great exercise because the conversation was really, uh, it it was focused, you know, and, and that's, I guess the, the role of the teacher or the, you know, whatever you want to call yourself is to keep them focused to a point without making it feel academic. And that's a little bit hard sometimes because by Mm -hmm. nature, we, we press students and I I think you, you'll find yourself behaving a little differently than, than in
0: history class. Well, I hope so, because I think, you know, there are various philosophers who kind of rejected the kind of formalized study of philosophy, you know, people like Wittgenstein or Hegel or what have you. Uh, And so, you know, perhaps, you know, taking this much more kind of relaxed approach, uh, but also in some degrees taking a more practical approach, to philosophy, and you know, there, you know, Wittgenstein himself said it. You know, it's that you know, you know, philosophy is not supposed to be, you know, navel gazing. You know, you, it's, it's supposed to be the idea of creating ideas that have a practical application. In some cases, where you're trying to change a process, you're trying to change a form, you're trying to change a perspective on something. It is an activity. It's not just you know staring into the ether and so for my students trying to get them to see that you know i hope by keeping it informal it might accentuate that idea but you never know i mean this could be a and this could be a disaster you know i don't know what what it's going to look like my thought though is is that i have some very thoughtful students yeah who have expressed an initial interest and i can't help but think that like you there will be some good that comes from this and there'll be some students who greatly benefit from this well, all, all that's really required is just one question. You know, you you,
1: you start the session with a question, and, and maybe it just organically turns into something. Um, and, and if not, you ask another question. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I'm really hopeful. <laughs> I, I hope that that others out there, at least, because it take. Well, let's let's think about what you're doing. You're a, an accomplished teacher. You've taught for many years. Um, you're, you're very confident and um, for teachers new to the building and new to the profession uh, there's a risk doing that um, and and we've I think we've talked about this before are we in a in a culture an environment today where, where teachers are comfortable taking a risk because philosophy is a little bit different uh than some say an art class where they're building things or whatever but these are ideas and ideas are are rather explosive these days so do you think that teachers are, would be open to taking the risks that you are right now
0: well i think there's certainly there is no environment to encourage teachers to take risk and so Uh, from a kind of an institutional point of view, certainly there is no one encouraging students or teachers to try something like this or even to think in this direction. Um, But I think one of the things that teachers, young teachers should understand is that in engaging in a group like this, it is not necessary for you to be the expert, right? This could be a learning experience, both for you and the students. Now, hopefully, you know enough that you can help direct and shape the conversation if you have to, if the students, you know, are not particularly communicative one day. But at the same time, I think it's important that, uh, this, that teachers give themselves the license to not know everything. You know, I, I've taught history for 27 years. But to suggest, I mean, it's, it's always the kiss of death, you know, it's the idea of if you're on Jeopardy and you were giving a history question and all the <laughs> audience members know you're a history teacher. So, oh, this yeah. guy's got it. And then you get it wrong. And you're like, "The hell kind of history teacher is this? You know, <laughs> get him off the stage. Thumbs down like Caesar or something like that. Yeah. You mean carted yeah. out to the lions. And so. Um, so, that I mean, I think to suggest that just because you teach something that you automatically know everything well, it's not good for your own mental health, but two, I think it's also good to kind of put yourself in the position of the student. And I think that's okay to do that. And so as long as you have a good group of kiddos and as long as you have a subject that you can, um, that you can kind of help shape, uh, a, a group to discuss, I think that's enough. And I think if you're, as long as you're, you know, you're open with yourself and open with the other students, now, meeting off campus, you know, those were the heady days in the 90s when you, know, you could you could do something like that.
1: It was a better era. It
0: was like, yeah. So I, there's no way in hell I would meet my <laughs> students outside of class or outside of school. So they're going to, have to be content with the institutional cinder block walls of our classroom uh, to 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 kind of consider all things philosophy. But
1: yeah, It was you know. the wild, wild west. Um, <laughs> but. Um, You um, uh, ideally, you know, you you can see who's doing the talking, you know, and if the the students are talking or the group members more than you, that's a good thing. We, you know, we don't want a moderator like John McLaughlin. (laughs) 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 I I could picture that. It'd it'd be funny, but uh, I don't know. You could do your exercise. Uh, where you talk about bias, (laughs) you know, where you make mistakes and you're biased and you intentionally, uh, pervert the truth and they call you on it and (laughs) see if you get
0: complaints about your philosophy club. Well, for those who heard earlier, uh, podcast episodes, uh, they know that that doesn't really turn out too well, but, uh,
1: Um, well, I have high hopes for this. So you're, you're meeting
0: weekly. No, not weekly, uh, because so we met this past week. And so this weekend, I'm trying to find uh, a text. Well, first, I have to decide on a subject. And then I want to find a text uh, from a particular philosopher on the topic, and then maybe find like a companion piece, uh, lecture, or, or discussion on the topic. And then maybe in three weeks' time, you know, you know, give them an opportunity, a chance to read in conjunction with their other duties and responsibilities and then meet again and, and, and talk about it and then head on to the next topic. So that's partly that's kind of the rough draft of where we are. So, again, you know, I, I did not come into this wanting it to be any one particular thing. I didn't come into this for it to to have any kind of particular structure. But rather just to to see where the students take it. And if the students' desire is such that they want to meet more often or that they find out that they do have time to read this, whatever text it is, quicker, then we can kind of adjust our schedule. But uh, to kind of start a little bit easy and see where their extra time takes them and see how the conversation goes. I was thinking though about if you had the opportunity to create anything else beyond philosophy, can you think of a similar type of group? I was thinking about the idea of what would other teachers do? What could young teachers do? What kind of topics could they cover? Do you think that might have a similar potential benefit both to the teacher and the students? What would you do beyond philosophy?
1: Well, I think, you know, film, film, is a natural for that and it's in some ways easier because you watch something and then you hold a discussion you know after Mm -hmm. i think a lot of you know teachers could do that i would do that i have a lot of interest in film um music appreciation i mean i I taught a course essentially in that but that structure would work outside of school as well where you know the, the students are bringing in pieces that we listen to and we discuss, and then the same thing, you know. And I would bring things to the table as a musician, and so forth. But that 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 type of structure, you know, probably fits for a lot of topics, including, you know, literature. You know, and mm. um, you like, you really have to have the right type of students who would do additional reading. But I guess your yours are doing the same. Uh, but I, I I I think something. You know, I would lean to my own interests, you know, which are music and philosophy. Uh, film, um, so it's a. Yeah, I think for me,
0: a, a, a pretty pretty short list. I think the benefit here is just the idea or the chance for students to engage in something that's not required. To engage in something that does not fit this paradigm of they got to do a certain grade in order to get into the right college or whatever the case may be, it's a real pressure that a lot of my students face. You can see it on their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for my kiddos, it's an opportunity to explore what interests them. You know, they, as a history teacher, I try to find, um, you know, I try to find ways of explaining history where even if it does not directly relate or impact or is relevant to the student is nevertheless interesting, noteworthy, worthy of study, uh, here. You know, you can fully give yourself over to the interests of the students and try to, um, you know, through study and through reading and discussion, you have the opportunity to kind of explore some of these ideas with them. And so well, I, I, hope, I, I have an idea for you Herr Miller. Let's hear it. <laughs>
1: I did my little chuckle. That's <laughs> yeah, my my show. Um, <laughs> is,
0: uh, here's the problem: your your ideas. <laughs> I'll I'll never forget one of the first. I hate to sidetrack your idea yeah, here, I'll, just I'll for a second. For, go ahead. <laughs> the first time you offered me advice, yeah, in our in our in our, uh, in our uh, early nascent stages of our friendship. You told, you told me some advice. I said, would you do that? And you said, oh no, I wouldn't do that, but <laughs> right. that's what you should, <laughs> that's what you should do. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I get to be entertained by your stories. That's the whole point here. Um, but you know, as a history teacher, you know where the interest is of those students and you're mm-hmm. holding back on them. Um, if you had a, you don't need to call it a history club. You could call it the world war II club And you bring in clips from the History Channel, and you tell them what they want to hear. And they talk about the one topic that history students want more than anything else. Um,
0: And you're just the man to do it. I fight well, no. <laughs> And I, and I think you damn well know that I would never have created a group like that. So come
1: on, you could call you could it the jerk world, 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 could world, jerk world.
0: By, You're jerking my chain, no, no You could doing.
1: pull it off. You you could enlighten them that it's more than what you see on the history channel.
0: Um, it's more than would, what you get from your uh, from your point of view shooter videos and Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but, but there there's
1: definitely groups out there with all kinds of interests that are not being tapped and
0: it can be anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're they're limited to these core subjects, you know, electives have gone the way of the dinosaur. I mean, there are some, and I think now with the, these tracks of graduation that actually helps the elective programs, uh, thank goodness. Um, but there aren't that many choices. And certainly for free, we would call it altruistic, Intellectual endeavor.
0: Um, there aren't many opportunities. It is. It is probably, perhaps, the the worst uh, in impact. It is probably the worst collateral damage of the current mindset with regards to graduation requirements and and course selection. That now you could say that yes, uh, music and art classes are still there. Um, but they're particularly only for those people who track in that direction. But if you were a science person and you just happen to love or were interested in art, your chances of getting into an art class become much more difficult because your counselor is going to sit there and tell you, well, you also have to take this, 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 and this. Maybe you don't have time for art. And you know, so they know yes, you're right. The notion of high school as a open exploration of ideas and subject matter to find out what you're interested in, that has clearly dissipated. And so, and to our detriment, I would, uh, I would suggest. Absolutely. And so the, the students
1: or their parents are having to make real difficult decisions between very interesting potential areas. Um, and, and then there's also the, the grading and the weighted grades of advanced placement courses and honors courses. And most, uh, I, I would say typically elective courses don't have that extra weight. And so they, you know, for people who are seeking high GPAs, they, they really hurt their overall GPA. So, so some of our students who are trying to become valedictorian and so forth are avoiding those one-offs like the plague in a a way because they they just pull them down and they, if they take a couple of those, they're never going to get that top spot.
0: Well, there's a lot of things that have been placed on the altar of education for sacrifice. And I think we spent the last uh, 45 minutes here talking about some things that I think we would be better off. I think the teachers and the students would get a great deal out of these kinds of explorations. Maybe it's better in some ways that philosophy is not a quote unquote class, then it becomes simply one more thing to pass, one more thing to ace, one more thing to put into the ledger of uh, your GPA ranking. And perhaps this makes it a more real, perhaps in Mm -hmm. the end, better experience that we're doing it this way. Yet, on some level, I'm sad that we have to do it this way, that we cannot do it in a way that could allow more students to take part. But
1: Yeah, well, it would be institutionalized. Imagine the last hour of every day is for clubs that are ad hoc clubs created by every teacher, and then students just run into whichever room would be of interest, and mm-hmm. they have you know, you could imagine how quickly that becomes formalized and the the grading starts and all, every, everything that you're doing is the opposite of that because it's uh, organic. It's, it's creative. You don't even know what you're going to be reading, you know, which is kind of refreshing to me.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think so as well. So I'm excited. We'll see how it goes. And uh, we'll do updates from time to time on the podcast to to kind of uh, circle back around and find out how uh, these uh, these intrepid uh, explorers of philosophy are doing. But uh, until then, college football calls and we must go. And I wish you the very best of the weekend, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Well, same to you, but more of
1: it, Herr Miller. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Auf Wiedersehen. Mazel tov.